It's so good actually to be here amongst um, uh, all of you folk, just to see the way that the Holy Spirit is moving amongst uh, this congregation here this morning. So one of the things I kind of thought, you know, if I had a word to describe uh, what I've kind of got fed back to me this morning from uh, the first part of our service is that there's a real hunger in this room. I really picked up that there's a hunger in this room. I want to really encourage you uh, to stay hungry, to stay hungry for everything the Holy Spirit is doing uh, in us and through us at the moment. Um, I would also encourage you to get hungry, get hungry for everything. Uh, that you know, he's, he's mo- the way that he's moving amongst us right now. Um, and just to, uh, just to kind of reiterate what uh, Richard said about um, just the meetings recently that we're, that we're, uh, where we gather together, where the Holy Spirit, and last Sunday evening I was there, last Sunday evening, and gosh, there was something that changed in that room for me um, in terms of just observing where the Holy Spirit was working and the level of power. Um, so come, really, every opportunity that you get, every opportunity that we get to gather together right now, Come and be part of that. You know, I know Sunday evenings is a tough call for some of us, but let's not miss out. Let's uh, let's let's get involved in everything that He has for us right now. Okay, so we're um, we're back um, this morning uh, into Ephesians. We had a break over Christmas, and we're now back into Ephesians, and we're. Um, and now continuing our series as a church family on the theme of one new family as we work through the book of Ephesians. And just before Christmas, we reached a point um, at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 3, which is very often considered the point where Paul moves from a theological narrative to one of more of application and practice. In other words, it's where Paul now leads us in our understanding of the riches and realities of our new status in Christ and the outworking of that as citizens of a new way of living. He's helping us to lead us with our wealth into our walk. Chapters 1 to 3 remind us that we were purchased, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, accepted that through salvation we are now joined and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that we have been enlightened to the riches we now stand in, that the fullness of Christ is now in us, that we were once dead in sin but are now alive in Christ. We're now seated with him in heavenly places. We have salvation through the gift of grace and not of works. That we were once strangers and aliens. We were far off but are now gloriously near. That we now now have unrestricted access to the Father and we have been given insight into the mystery of Christ and our fellow conquerors and inheritors of his victory. We are now one new man in place of two. 
one new people, one new family. It's because of all of this that our new status has now become our new calling. It's now up to us to respond to the astonishing transformation we have now gone through in Christ. So we're going to be starting this morning looking at what our walk really looks like for us. Let's read our passage from Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, if you've got your Bibles. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Paul begins by reminding us that with a great wealth and knowledge, now comes great responsibility. I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What comes along with this new life is a weight that we now get to carry. The Greek word for worthy is axios, which at its root means of weight. This is the word from which we derive the English word axiom which means to be equal of equal weight. If you're a mathematician, in an equation, the axiom indicates doing something to each side of an equation so it remains true. Paul is saying here that we should try to live lives equal to the great blessings described in chapters 1 to 3. That because of our new royal status, we must now conduct ourselves in a manner in which we have now been raised up from our old life. We can no longer have this new rank and continue to live as we used to live. Our lives are now lost to that of Christ. I had the great privilege last week of marrying Mike and Gail Yates. Some of you probably were here. And in a similar way, their lives are now lost to the covenant of marriage. They no longer live separate lives from one another. They have vowed and committed to a new way of living. Now that, of course, will get worked out through the twists and turns of married life. But the rules have now changed for them, and the landscape looks very different. We are, of course, his church, now his new bride, the one he has chosen for himself to, fill, to, to pour his fullness into. As his bride, we are now called to lay aside our old ways and our old lives um, in order to try and live lives worthy of him. 
Because you see, he didn't just buy us back in our wretchedness and our filthy rags, but he deposited in us a fortune of imaginable riches that will remain with us into eternity. Why would we not want to live lives worthy of that? I love my war films, and I particularly like the uh, closing scenes of Saving Private Ryan, where a company of soldiers following the D-Day landings have been charged with the task of finding a private who is the last surviving brother of five, four of which have already been killed in combat, in order to save their mother from the horror of losing all her sons. They manage to find him, but the company is all but wiped out. And with his dying breath, the captain of the company of soldiers whispers into Private Ryan's ear, James, earn it, earn this. Then it cuts to nearly 50 years on to a scene in a graveyard where James Ryan and his family are visiting the grave of Captain Miller. And Ryan turns to his wife and says, tell me I've lived a good life. What he's actually saying is, tell me I've lived a life worthy of those men who died to find me. Now, of course, we don't have to live our lives um, earning our salvation because it's been freely given. It's a done deal. But we are called to live lives worthy of that extraordinary gift. Paul is trying to encourage us at least to attempt to match the obedience of Christ with our obedience, his sacrifice with our sacrifice, his holiness with our holiness, his love with our love, even though we will, of course, fall woefully short. As a body of Christ, as a new royal priesthood, our first practical assignment is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have now been called. So how do we do that? How do we take to the adventure into the worthiness of our lives? Well, Paul very helpfully answers much of this in very many different ways in the remaining chapters of Ephesians. But we're going to focus this morning particularly on the charge of walking in unity. I think I've always been aware that church life is complicated. I completely get that. I know it's a gathering of people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, cultures, ages and stages, different needs and different circumstances. But it wasn't until I actually started working uh, for the church that I realised it can look a little bit like this at times. When most of the time I'd really want it to look something like this. Don't get me wrong, I love the idea of inclusivity and diversity. 
It's a real joy to belong to a family that looks like this. But it does come with its challenges. I have the emails to prove it. And I know Richard does, probably more than me. And of course, we would like to encourage you to continue to do that, mainly to Rich. Paul, too, had a lifetime of ministry, trying to bring together different communities, tribes, languages, religions, the rich, the poor, the sick, the educated, the uneducated, all to a common place of a life in Christ. I think he was well qualified to speak into this, don't you? What is really helpful, though, is Paul takes us, as he takes us further into this passage, he outlines what I believe are three key strategies for walking in unity. He starts quite rightly with the source of unity. He outlines for us the great source and model of unity is, of course, God himself. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul is wanting to give us these verses, uh, the absolute assurance of a united Godhead. He's wanting to remind us of the security and hope we have now in the persons of God working together for our good. We get the comfort and confidence in knowing that there's no place, no moment, past, present and future that has been or will ever be absent of God. By using the word one seven times in this passage, Paul's wanting to continually emphasise the completeness and wholeness of the Trinity. That nothing of God exists outside of that eternal bond. The perfect, original, masterpiece of unity, the datum, the template, the state by which all things are now measured is the glorious nature and companionship of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, in seamless harmony. Paul is saying in verses 4 to 6, let's aspire to that. Let's take our lead from that. Let's try and reflect that. Make that the starting point, a model for our own unity worked out in this church. Secondly, Paul encourages us to take care of unity. Firstly, it's really important that we remember back in chapter 2, Paul reminds us that unity was made possible by his flesh. Verse 14 says, For he himself is, is our peace, who has made us both, uh, had made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Unity in the body is a divine gift to the church. It was purchased for us. It has brought us together as one new people, one new family. 
And we, through that, work out the, in the spirit the task is a critical job of its care. Verse 3 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I love the word eager. It's a great action word. It's full of enthusiasm and energy. Kind of feel it's like chomping at the bit. Let's be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Unity in the body is a precious thing. It needs constant care and attention. We must never be complacent or take unity for granted. Unattended, it can very quickly, we can very quickly find ourselves returning back to a state like this. I had an airing cupboard that looked like that once. Seriously, I did. Much like blood flowing through a healthy body, if we neglect to build and attend to unity within the church, we will begin to constrict the power and potential of the Holy Spirit working through us. Let me tell you, the Spirit flows freely through a united church. The Spirit flows freely through a united church. Maybe we need to say that to each other a bit more often. When we're a people of one understanding, one mind, one heart, one vision and purpose, the Holy Spirit gets to move unhindered through us, through our lives, our families, our marriages, our giftings, our ministries and our mission, and of course, much more. Have we got any plumbers in the house? We had a plumber in the house last week and it, this worked really well, but probably won't this morning. <laughs> because if you... Um, if you have pipe work that gets added onto, branched off, has bends and loops and circuits added to it, it will start to fail. Blockages will build up. Pipes will fur up and begin to corrode. Airlocks will form. And you will end up with terrible knocking and banging in your boilers. We had somebody who had a knocking and banging boiler last week. Anyone got a boiler that's playing up? No, okay, you're, there's a bit more money up this end. <laughs> so how do we maintain our unity? Who does it? Who's assigned to that job? Well, the truth is we all are, each and every one of us in this room this morning. Paul even helps us with this when he tells us to do this in the bond of peace. Now, my understanding of the word bond here is that we are all now legally together, bound together in common peace for the good of a united church. What Paul is really doing here uh, is calling out of each and every one of us the peacemaker and the maintainer, the custodian and host of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the brothers and sisters fathers and mothers amongst us in Christ who are not afraid to challenge those with wrong attitudes, those that dishonour others, 
show disobedience and disloyalty, have personal agendas and aspirations at odds with the purposes of God, the gossipers and the cynics. I've been in this church for 35 years plus now, and I've seen all of that. I've seen the way that all of that can be destructive in the body of Christ. Let's not be a people like that. When Paul uses the term bond of peace, it's not a weak, wishy-washy pastoral command. He's calling together God's people to be united in the way that we go about challenging one another, holding one another to account, lovingly correcting, bringing each other biblically back into line, calling out wrong attitudes instead of allowing them to deceptively permeate into the norm. Of course, alongside loving admonishment, peacemakers are charged too with being encouragers and affirmers, enablers and nurturers. And of course, to love one another has got to be at the very heart of everything we do together. But unity in the spirit, unity within body has got to be regularly tended to. And we all have a part to play in that. Are you a peacemaker? A maintainer? Are you being a custodian of unity in the body of Christ? If not, let me challenge you again. Be courageous. Step up. The job's yours. Paul's final point from this passage is now setting out what I believe is the character of unity. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. An illustration of what I think I mean, uh, I mean by the character of unity is perhaps when on a Sunday morning we get a new guest coming through the doors. We may even have some here this morning. They get to be among us, receive our welcome, see the way that we worship, hear the way that we share God's word, how we listen to them, take time with them, accept them and love them how we are with one another. As a result, we will almost certainly get to leave them as they walk out of the doors with an impression of who we are, the character of all nations' church, good or maybe not so good. As a site pastor, I often stand and watch guests leave the building at South and I find myself brooding a little on whether I did the very best I could to showcase who we were as a family of God's people. Were we welcoming enough? Did they get talked to and included? Did we serve them well? Were the toilets clean? That's an issue. Above all, I always hope as the power doors close behind them, that they've spent a couple of hours with a loving family and that they've felt at home in it. Right. 
a single-minded family of one heart and one understanding who accept and love each other unconditionally. Is that us? Am I in on that? I think it's good to ask ourselves that question from time to time. When Paul talks here about humility, gentleness, patience and love, he's expecting that uh, whenever and wherever we are as God's people together, these are the visible fruits that generously hang from each and every one of our branches. That as we come together, we make up this abundant orchard where not only we, but all can come and walk and pick and taste and smell the beauty and the very best of Christ's church. As we uh, unite together as individuals, as we get to represent him and his character, Jesus gave us tireless instruction about what that should look like. Let his character be our character. And would we be the lasting impression our visitors leave as they go out of our doors? With the summing up of all we are as All Nations Church, as the word, uh, as the world gets to look into us, be part of our meetings, our groups, our projects, our missions, as we get to be representatives in our schools and our workplaces, with the summing up of who we are, be that of open-hearted, generous, inclusive, assured family of God, united in confidence with him. In a world ever more divided, ever more fragmented and lost, And of course, Brexit for us at the moment seems like an ever-present open wound reminding us of that. If there's ever a time when the church needs to show a united confidence in him and raise its voice and be heard, it must surely be now. So let's start with this family. Let us be worthy practitioners of unity in the body of Christ. Let's be determined to get it right, at least in this place. Church, let us be the united, shining city on the hill, bound together in Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to ask the band if they can just come up. Please. <clears throat> we're going to sing a final song um, in a minute. And we're just the song declaring who we are and what we get to stand in in his purposes. But before that, I'm going to ask um, if we can... I know, this, I know this always feels a little bit cheesy and... You know, I'm unapologetic about that. Um, can, we, can we hold hands? Um, if you're comfortable to do that. If you're not, that's fine. I'm just going to pray. Lord, I want to thank you 
that you have brought us together in such an amazing way. That your flesh broke down the walls that once divided us. That by your spirit we can now call ourselves one new people, one new family together in Christ. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, would you just come again and minister to us now. Lord, we ask where perhaps disunity has found a foothold amongst us right now. Would you highlight that? Highlight that in our hearts, Lord. Put it right. Lord, where we may have wrong attitudes and wrong relationships, would you shine your light on those and call them out? Lord, where gossip and cynicism has been allowed to creep its way into our conversations, set brother against brother and sister against sister. Lord, would you, your truth come and reign again in those hearts? Lord, would forgiveness flow freely through this place? Lord, where we perhaps set off on a path of our own where we perhaps become stuck and stubborn with some old ways of thinking and doing. Lord, would you bring us back into line? Would you bring us back in under your authority, Lord God? Lord, would you simply forgive us where we have not maintained your church in the way you've taught us to? Lord, forgive us. We should have been peacemakers and challengers instead of onlookers and acceptors of the norm. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive me for that, Lord. Lord, make us again that shining city on the hill. Your people of power and praise, Lord. Filled with the confidence of their Father made breathless by the glory and majesty of Jesus. And would we be those who run eagerly into the presence and power of you, Holy Spirit. Lord, do that work amongst us. Amen.